winter setting off a downward spiral where it's not just the winter, it's what winter does, where mm-hmm. winter comes and it's colder outside and then it gets Like it's darker for a much bigger part of the day. If I now wake up and it's winter time and it's super dark outside and I'm already feeling less energetic, then you notice that it's actually setting me up to now start relying on food and foodstuffs and substances to help me moderate my energy. We kind of go like morning, coffee, afternoon, sugar, evening, alcohol, morning, repeat, right? So. That's where, when we kind of zoom out again and look at, well, what could we do to support ourselves nutritionally? Welcome. I'm Daniel Weiss, your host. I'm a runner, a hybrid athlete, and a nutrition coach. Since 2017, I've been helping active individuals to improve their health, energy levels, and physical and mental performance. In this podcast, I want to bring you the lessons that I've learned through my studies, interviewing interesting people, learning from them, and from experience working with myself and with clients online that will help you look, feel, and perform your best. I would like to invite you to join my weekly newsletter, Health Energy Performance, where I go deeper into the topics of health exercise, and how you can take this knowledge and put them into practice. Because it's only what you put into action that matters. You can subscribe at danweiss.eu forward slash newsletter. You will also find a link in the description below wherever you listen or watch this. Hello and welcome today. We are speaking about seasonal eating with Kate Solovieva or Ekaterina, <laughs> and she actually is a precision nutrition coach where I met her, and she has two degrees in psychology with a graduate degree focusing on resilience and stress management, which is really important for everyone who is, I think, uh, either fitness professional or professional uh, in business, self-employed, but pretty much for everyone, right? And she herself suffered from seasonal affective disorder, as it is called, for the last 10 years. What is also important is that she taught yoga and studied it in India and supported many people, like over thousands of people, uh, in her coaching career. And she has her own coaching program looking specifically at this seasonal eating So I think you are the right person we should talk to today. So I'm very happy that we are connecting and I'm happy to learn more about this thing because I don't feel being affected by seasonal fluctuances, but it doesn't seem to be based on what you wrote to me, uh, truth for everyone. So how is it? Well, I think like to your point, when you're saying like, I I don't really think I'm that affected by these fluctuations, but Mm -hmm. clearly you are. I think that in itself is a, is a great point to maybe start us off with where we find that different people are impacted by different things, right? So what those fluctuations are, whether they're fluctuations in seasons or fluctuations Mm -hmm. in energy or fluctuations in daylight. Uh, And one thing I I often tell folks, it's really not the matter of whether or not we are impacted by the seasons. We know that physiologically we are impacted as human Mm -hmm. species uh, by fluctuations in light and temperature. It's really how seasonal are we? Like how much are we impacted by that? Uh, I'm almost thinking of it similarly to the afternoon slump where some folks really report this crash in energy around two, three o'clock. And some people don't really, and they feel completely fine through the afternoon, right? So, and, and really we just kind of, if we're working with individual clients, it's really just kind of working with what, they present with, like we talk about meeting 
meeting the client where they're at. Mm -hmm. So you just opened my eyes that yeah, when I say that I'm not influenced, I really am. It's just maybe I don't feel it as much as someone else. Yeah, and from the coaching perspective, the way I think about it is it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Right. right. So are you impacted by the seasons? Yes, absolutely. In some ways you are because you are human mm -hmm. and they just might be mild, right? They they might not even be noticeable to you. And if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. So does it matter? Uh, like if you yourself don't notice those changes uh, season to season as it comes to your mood and energy, then there isn't really a problem to solve. And I'm pretty big on really before we start problem solving is actually determining whether what we're about to solve is indeed a problem because mm -hmm. oftentimes it's not right. Like if it's not presenting a challenge, then chances are we don't have to change anything. And that might come out as somewhat blasphemous from the mouth of, you know, a behavioral change coach. But I very often argue against change unless there is a very good reason for change right like I kind of say well right. if it works it works right but oftentimes um if it was working we wouldn't be talking about it whatever it is right like yeah. when it comes to that one-on-one -on -one interaction so when someone says a client might say you know I don't know if if it's a problem or not it, it often comes up like with um certain types of eating or alcohol consumption is a common one. It's like, I don't really know if it's a problem or not, mm -hmm. but the very fact that they bring it up often tells us something. Right. So if we take a step back and think about this topic, why does it matter? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Why does it matter? Um, and again, like to kind of highlight my previous point, for many, it probably doesn't. I, I sort of, I work with women primarily, and I've worked with over a thousand women at this point. Um, many of them are quite impacted by fluctuations through their menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. I've never been one of those women. I don't really notice like the roller coaster, but when they are, it's helpful to have the tools in your pocket to kind of know how to manage those. So we can look at it from twofold, like the conversation you and I are having today, we can have that conversation from the perspective of you as a coach, having the tools to work with people who are impacted by the seasons. And then also from the point of view of the audience, uh, people that are not impacted by the seasons, maybe they've hung up already and stopped listening a couple of minutes ago, right? But people who are impacted by the seasons, I think will find this very helpful. If they're not impacted themselves, it is also very, very often that someone we love is yeah. right like i know for me when my like winter blues is not well managed i'm not a great person to be around mm -hmm. i'm a pretty miserable person to be married to right like to probably <laughs> parent my kids i'm definitely not as good of a parent as i am in spring summer so that also becomes like as is the case any time when our health and wellness is concerned, it's very rarely just about us. It's always going to be about the people around us because they will be impacted by our mood, wellness, energy as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the point that you brought that um, maybe we are not affected by it or to that um, degree that it would be a problem, but probably there is someone around us and I know personally some people who say that they are or they feel really impacted like in autumn or in uh, spring these kind of fluctuations so I think that those people who are really affected by it they already know what we are talking about and those people who are not affected like what, what can they uh, experience can, can you tell us more like what we are really talking about what are the signs how, how we can identify that it is maybe the 
seasonal thing or if it's maybe something completely different? Yeah, so I think like in research, there is really no definitive answer as to like, here's exactly why uh, some people tend to be really impacted by this and others are not. Like we, we know light is important, right? But when we think of seasonality, I really think of humans as having solar batteries, Right. And mm -hmm. obviously we are talking about places in the world that have seasons, which is not the case. Right. Like if you if you're living in a place where it kind of looks and feels the same way year round, then mm -hmm. this is probably not going to be the case. Uh, right. But where you have very clearly distinctive seasons. I'm from Russia. There are absolutely clear seasons there. Now I live in Canada. We definitely have seasons. Uh, most places in the U.S. Um, will also have that in Europe. Uh, so really, I think of it as if we have solar batteries, some people's solar batteries run out sooner than others. Because if you are like, I know when I'm in Canada and I start talking to people, by the end of February, it feels like everyone around me is fed up by winter. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're ready for spring. They start talking about how like, oh, enough with the snow, enough with the cold. I'm ready for some sunshine. So by the end of February, everyone's solar batteries starting to feel a little depleted. Um, but for some people like myself, the solar battery might be running out by the end of October or, or November. Mm -hmm. So we really have to be putting some conscious steps and plans into place to really just remain functional, to kind of avoid, you know, turning into a big puddle on, on the couch. But I think the other thing I want to connect uh, for folks that are listening is whether or not you are impacted by the seasons in a kind of severe, drastic way, uh, I would still argue that there are some advantages to having a seasonal approach to your nutrition, to your mm -hmm. movement, and even to like for business owners, coaches, like people running their own um, like hustle or their own practice, even to how they're running their business. Because like the very mm. term, the very notion of seasonality is something that is well built into many businesses. Like if you think of businesses like tourism or ice cream sales or landscaping, like they have very clear uh, ups and downs and peaks and valleys in their expected sales and income. So they can analyze the performance from past years and they could project performance into the next years. And I actually think that as humans, we would do well to do the same. Like when am I feeling at my best, right? Like we do that on a micro scale with clients sometimes when we're analyzing their energy throughout the day. Like maybe mm -hmm. we do a time log, like how are you feeling? How energetic are you feeling first thing in the morning? And then around lunchtime, how do you feel after you eat? How do you feel like right before bedtime? And here we're kind of taking that same data collecting and assessment approach on a more of a macro scale where we zoom out and kind of see like, well, how, how, like at what point do you feel at your best throughout the year? And even on a very practical scale, how do we maybe problem solve for some of the predictable, forecastable issues? Mm -hmm. Every single mother I know finds herself scrambling for Halloween costumes, middle of October, right? Like it's just something that is like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it's middle of October already, right? Like we're two weeks away from Halloween. So sometimes with clients, I would actually find myself talking about Halloween costumes in July, because in July, they found themselves having more downtime, but also more energy and kids being at school. So this is something that feels a little bit silly because it's like we're talking about Halloween costumes in July, but we're, we're working with their energy and we're working with their available bandwidth to really um, do ourselves a favor three or four months down the road. The same applies to Christmas gift shopping in August, right? Or, or September, like one mm -hmm. of the strategies I often offer is um, we talk about Christmas gift shopping on a summer vacation. 
we're often away, we're somewhere in a new, different, interesting place. So maybe you just keep an eye out for fancy soaps that you're going to give to your mother-in-law, right? Or maybe you pick up some cute little kitchen towels or bath salts, and then you stash it in your closet and your middle of December, end of December is going to be that less stressful. So thank you for this nice overview and just let me repeat what you just said to make sure that I understood you correctly here. And I was smiling all the time because I could relate to all of those things that you just mentioned. So first thing is uh, what you mentioned was seasonal approach to not only how you feel, how your energy is, uh, but also to seasonality in a the broad perspective, how you plan your business, how you plan your maybe life, how, how to make your uh, life easier in la- aligned with your energy. And this is something that I learned from business or marketing perspective when or productivity rather, and that is to go with energy flow. So when I have more energy, I want to go with the flow and maybe produce a little bit more because maybe tomorrow I will not have that much energy or maybe later in that week or something like that. So I will still be productive from the longer perspective of time. I really love that kind of energy surfing. And then you mentioned also preparing in advance and that was like specifically with these Halloween costumes in summer maybe. And you mentioned that it's like kind of silly. I think it's smart. (laughs) And yeah, why leave it for for the last moment, right? Just like with the uh, Christmas gift. And it just gave me thought that I would like to share. And that is that... We usually make bad decisions when we are in a hurry, like we are looking for those Christmas gifts in the last minute. So just for the sake of having some kind of Christmas gift. But what I personally employed over my lifetime or started doing was that I've been looking for the Christmas gift all the time. So anytime I see something like, oh, that's it, then I buy it. And then I'm not in a rush, in a hurry. And in that way, I guess we can also mitigate some kind of stress, especially during those stressful times, because then also the person during this Christmas or other holidays, they are also baking, they are also cooking and cleaning house and doing all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. And maybe they will not have as much energy as they assume they would Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are a couple of points there that are definitely applicable to, you know, everyone all the time. Like we, we talk about, uh, you know, you, you've called it energy surfing. I really like that expression, like working with your own energy level. And because those energy levels could be fluctuating, kind of forecasting, predicting them and and problems, mm-hmm. problem solving for those, like folks might be familiar with maybe delaying their workout to the late afternoon and then just feeling brain fried and exhausted Mm. by the time late afternoon rolls around, (laughs) right? So uh, I remember working with one client years ago who was uh, a CEO of the company uh, who came to the conclusion that even though he was not an early riser by any means, uh, he came to the conclusion that he has to work out at six in the morning or it doesn't happen at all. And his reasoning was there are no fires to be put out yet at six in the morning. So nothing can interfere with that workout. As soon as he waited for 9 a.m. and the day, like the work day to start, right? Like even though he had a lunch break and an afternoon thing, like there were just too many things that were coming up and invariably the workout would constantly be canceled, be pushed, be postponed, be replaced by something more important. So that was his little hack of working with rather than working against like his circumstances, the way his, his life is set up. And I mean, the other way that I think of this as is just building up our resilience overall. And Mm -hmm. I think a big 
part of how I view resilience is being able to thrive in a variety of different situations and a variety of different circumstances. So how do we you know, how do we become more, quote unquote, resilient around our food and around our movement? When we talk about seasonality and perhaps mm-hmm. uh, the word that people will be more familiar with, periodization, we're much more familiar with periodization in the context of physical movement and athletic training. Right. right? But we can take that same approach to nutrition as well. I mean, if you are based in like Northern Hemisphere, like in Massachusetts or Ontario, somewhere where uh, I am, it will be significantly harder for you to eat a fresh salad every single day in February. Right. And it's going to taste significantly um, worse in February than it will in in August or July when these vegetables and herbs and greens are readily available kind of locally. So uh, the first thing that you mentioned was planning ahead uh, and trying to predict where you are more energetic to uh, align your schedule or high priority tasks either within the day, within the week or within the year to be maybe more productive or to to do the important things. So you are sure that they get done and maybe even to use them as a way how to gain some energy as those morning workouts can charge you or charge your batteries and make you feel successful, accomplished and get even better energy throughout the day. And then you started mentioning resiliency and how we can build resiliency with exercise, with food. And I think this is really interesting topic and we are getting to the things that is uh, interesting for many people. But before we jump into that, uh, the first thing that came to my mind when you mentioned like seasonality or seasonal approach is uh, when I hear this term, it's like we should eat according to the season. And that is that comes from some health circles and people who are promoting kind of maybe like naturalistic or paleo lifestyle at least that's where i get get this idea from and uh, that you know for example in winter you should be avoiding carbohydrates in uh, summer you should be eating fruit because you know it's uh, in season and in uh, in winter you should be avoiding them because they would not be growing naturally or anything like that so is is also this kind of the thing that you are now or what we are going to talk about or is it something like completely different yeah i think this this definitely ties in into this topic as well because you know we've said seasonality as a concept can be applied to nutrition to movement to mood to energy to everything to running your business. So I think when we apply seasonality to nutrition, then uh, very obviously like the implications and rules and suggestions and best practices around eating seasonally comes up and eating locally comes up. And -hmm. I think just even if we were to, to, uh, not to now, like zoom out for a second when somebody says, well, let's say somebody asks, like, should I be eating more in season? My first question to them would be in order to what? Like, what is the purpose and what is the claim? Like, what is the claim behind eating locally and seasonally? So for me, uh, if I want to eat bananas, like if I want to have a banana on top of my oatmeal in the morning, the concept of seasonality is meaningless because my bananas will always be imported from somewhere that grows bananas. Like there are no local bananas in Ontario. Like so you should not eat thing. them. However, if we're talking about something, say it again. So you should not eat them at all. Well, 
and that's and that's a great point, right? Like, so if we were to strictly speaking be eating seasonally and locally, I should not be eating bananas at all. And that is absolutely what people would do in the past, simply because getting access to bananas was not an option. Like you were naturally limited to foods mm-hmm. that were grown and locally accessible to you. For me to be able to eat bananas in February or March or July and really whenever I like is an incredible privilege that is brought to me by modern life, right? Like and the uh, the supply chain where I'm actually able to receive those uh, those fruits that I never would have been able to to taste otherwise. But when we're talking about something like I think. A more meaningful comparison might be when we look at a food that I could eat locally and seasonally or not. So something Mm -hmm. like strawberries, where I live, I could eat strawberries that are local and are in season, or I could go to the grocery store and I could purchase strawberries again year round because of that same beautiful supply chain and all the privileges of modern life. Now, Other benefits to me eating strawberries that are grown locally and seasonally. If you've ever tasted local strawberries and strawberries that have been imported for hours and hours from elsewhere, you wouldn't have to answer that question because they taste like two completely different berries, (laughs) right? Like there's just absolutely no comparison. So berries that are local, they smell like berries, they taste amazing, they burst with flavor, right? So they just taste better and in terms of like their preserved vitamins like we can kind of argue of whether or not those are lost in transport but yes of course there are going to be benefits to eating uh locally if for no other reason that is just a much better tasting strawberry but then there are also a lot of things that are just not going to be available to me to eat mm-hmm. locally or seasonally. I have written um, recently about uh, an eating experiment I've undertaken a few years ago. And to this day, it remains to be my most extreme nutritional experiment. So what I decided to do was to eat only local food for one month. Mm. And, and you shared this in your newsletter. As... I'm sorry. I have, yeah. So I've written about that in my recent newsletter. Go ahead. Oh, please. Oh, I, uh, I, I'm sorry yeah, I interrupted so you. <laughs> the local... No, 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 no worries. Local foods were defined for the purposes of that experiment as having come from 100-mile radius from where I was based. So in order for the food to kind of make the list, it had to be that local. And that was an incredibly eye-opening experiment for me because, you know, sure, it's an experiment taken to the extreme uh, interpretation of what that is. But if I was eating truly local, I would not never be having tea. I would never be having coffee, black pepper, olive oil, right? Like most oils, most nuts, most seafood that just simply would not be on on my list of options. Mm -hmm. So to conclude the nutrition piece here or seasonal approach to nutrition, what are our conclusions here? What, what, What can people take away from this? So I think in terms of like, how do we wrap up the nutrition piece here and and eating seasonally? Um, I think that what I would want to challenge here is the expectation from ourselves to be eating in a linear fashion year round. Mm -hmm. It is objectively harder to get as many fresh fruits and vegetables uh, if you're living in countries with a winter uh, in 
in the late fall and early winter and really early spring. So that's where like that seasonal approach really comes in where you might be naturally shifting to things like, no, you see root vegetables, you see soups, you see chilies. A lot of those recipes are often based on ingredients that have a long shelf life, Mm -hmm. right? So like apples keep very well, potatoes keep, carrots keep, strawberries don't keep, right? (laughs) And that also might be uh, kind of dictating how you are eating those foods year round, where my spouse is much more of a foodie than I am. So he almost never eats tomatoes in the winter, Because they're imported, like they just don't taste very good to him, right? So when tomatoes are in season, that's when he enjoys them. And when they're gone, they're kind of gone until next year. So he's not going to go and purchase tomatoes that have traveled many, many, many hours because they simply don't taste quite the same. They don't quite taste as good as he knows tomatoes can be. So I think like really the conclusion is kind of like, we're going back to the leaning into it, like leaning into what is available seasonally and rather than, you know, like, sure, I can muscle it and I can mm-hmm. have a fresh salad every single day if I choose to. My salads are going to be much more sad looking and significantly <laughs> less enjoyable, I think, in the month of January and February. And maybe that is where I would do better with a, you know, a soup or a chili. It reminded me while you were talking about it that I can totally relate to your husband. Like we have tomatoes in the garden right now and I'm all tomatoes. And then in winter, no way, I'm not eating that. And uh, it reminds me of the question I get asked by people quite often. They understand that we should have a variety in our diet, like different colors, vegetables, and so on. Some people take it like way too far. Some people are on the opposite spectrum. And so there are some people who are worried, like if it's in winter and maybe also the vegetables and fruit is more expensive because it is not in season, which is also a variable. they are worried that if they are not eating, let's say, 30 different kinds of vegetables and fruit year round in every, let's say, every day or every week, they are doing something wrong. And my thought on the, this was that, well, you can rotate it through the week, but there is also the seasonality throughout the year when you eat what is in season, like those tomatoes, like you mentioned, in winter root vegetables, potatoes, onion, scallion, something like that, herbs. And you don't need to have like all all kind of vegetables all year round. So that is like my view on this topic. Yeah, and I think like humans are probably more resilient than we think. Like no one is going to become vitamin deficient from three months of not eating tomatoes. I think especially if they're eating a variety of other foods and vegetables. And also no one vitamin is uh, exclusively available in one type of fruit, right? right? So that chances are if you're leaning into those foods that are available to you where you live and getting that variety, you're still going to be getting it. Like, yes, I can eat an orange and get my vitamin C, but maybe oranges are not available to me year round where I live, but I could, I could eat an apple anytime. An apple very conveniently also has vitamin C. So I think it's just kind of remembering that there is not going to be any one fruit or vegetable or type of food that's going to have like this, this one magical vitamin and no other food is going to have that vitamin because if that was the case we could not thrive as a species living in different environments and eating different diets and that's a great point however there are people who want to optimize their energy their body composition and host of other variables maybe sports performance so sometimes they uh, try to do like kind of seasonal approach to their nutrition 
from the perspective of like yeah eating what is in season hoping that it will in some way support their body and have you found something along those lines like for example as someone who is affected by these fluctuances more uh, throughout the year that there is something better for you or for your clients to eat let's say in winter and something that's better for them in summer Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think that, that the most obvious connection that comes to mind here for me is the connection through physical movement and performance. Because when we talk about seasonal approach to movement and training, um, folks with background in athletics would usually have like a more like probably an easier time just understanding it because they they would have been familiar with the concept of like racing season or game season and mm -hmm. then off season. So if um, if you're working with a competitive runner, let's say, right, like chances are during their high volume training seasons, which is probably going to be spring, summer, fall, and maybe their racing season when their like A races and competitions are placed, they might be eating a higher amount of carbohydrates. And that's where, you know, maintaining caloric deficit and really high protein intake might be kind of difficult with their other, like just while supporting their training and performance. Mm -hmm. So uh, working with someone like that, we may see benefits to shifting their nutrition season to season, because as their training goes down, as they don't have a race on their calendar for maybe six months, well, that may be a great time to decrease their carbohydrates, to increase protein, to increase their fat, and really focus on strength training as they get ready for the next racing season. So that's kind of like the one obvious tie-in that I can see where mm -hmm. movement and nutrition and seasons can all go hand in hand. Right. Uh, what what about maybe from the perspective of energy? Uh, tell me more. What are you asking? Oh, okay, so as you can feel less energetic, let's say during this, let's say winter time, because maybe uh, there is less sunlight less intense sunlight and so on. So people feel these fluctuations in energy throughout the year. And what can such person do to optimize energy? Maybe there is also nutrition piece, but I'm not just strictly following the nutrition rules right now. Yeah, so I think from the managing the energy perspective, when it comes to seasons, there's three things that come to mind right away. And those things being caffeine, alcohol, and like heavy processed carbohydrates, where all three would really come into play in that less light, less energy loop. And I talk about it uh, in Operation Tigger quite a bit, which is my group coaching for, uh, program for folks that struggle with winter. We talk about winter setting off a downward spiral where it's not just the winter, it's what winter does, where mm -hmm. winter comes and it's colder outside. And then it gets like it's darker for a much bigger part of the day. And I think that's where um, I really want to kind of validate and normalize that things are not going to feel the same year round. So like if you're a runner and you're going out for a nice morning run in July, well, if it's 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., the sun's already up and it's nice and the birds are singing and you're going for a run. If you're going to go for a run in December, at 6 or 7 a.m., it's pitch black and freezing and scary. So those are two very, very different experiences, right? And you you might decide to push through that or not. Maybe you're shifting your running schedule. Maybe you're shifting uh, to a different sport altogether, which is part of our discussion on mm -hmm. seasonal approach, maybe to physical activities as well and mm -hmm. having like a winter sport and a summer sport. Um but I think when it comes to that connection, so if I now wake up and it's winter time 
and it's super dark outside and I'm already feeling less energetic, then you notice that it's actually setting me up to now start relying on food and foodstuffs and substances to help me moderate my energy. So I'm now feeling a little bit more tired. Maybe I'm going to have some extra coffee throughout the day. Instead of having one coffee as I would in the morning in the summer, I'm now having two, I'm having three. And that starts to kick off that downward spiral because now I've had way too much coffee. I've Mm. probably now delayed my breakfast. Now I'm feeling super jittery and frazzled by the time lunchtime rolls around. I'm more likely to experience my afternoon crash at 2 or 3 p.m., which is where snacks come in, cookies come in, candy comes in, the vending machine in the office comes in. And then when 5 o'clock comes around, I'm so frazzled and hyped up, I'm actually more uh, likely to rely on depressants to bring me down, which is often a glass of red wine to unwind, which maybe I am less likely to use in the summer if my energy is high to begin with. And then very often by November, December, January, um, we see this like the downward spirally energy management feedback cycle where we kind of go like morning, coffee, afternoon, sugar, evening, alcohol, morning, repeat, right? So that's where when we kind of zoom out again and look at, well, what could we do to support ourselves nutritionally? It's to actually be on the lookout for that pattern being kicked off and pull back. Because if I resist the urge to have my second coffee, third coffee, fourth coffee, I'm actually significantly less likely to need sugar in the afternoon, to need wine in the evening, right? So then we also kind of start looking at the timeline. Because whatever it is we're struggling with is often in the works eight hours prior or 12 hours prior, or the night before. So very often I say, like when we're having trouble with something in the morning, it's not the morning, it's the night before. Like that's the setup. Right. Totally makes sense. And I really love your uh, big picture thinking because that's like the way I think. So I can relate and understand this concept in this way. Hopefully also the listeners, viewers. And... I can certainly relate to the connection you made with running. Like in summer at 5 a.m. I get up. I'm already up because the sun is out. And in winter, I actually started running. And so I I found a way how to enjoy it at like 6 a.m. But yeah, it's not like for everybody, I would say. It, It was less natural let's say or less aligned (laughs) with my natural cycle i would say so that's one thing however i believe that maybe we can use some supplements to boost our energy instead of spiking it with or trying to spike it with coffee or with quick sugars and i did also love that point that uh it's probably not about what we can add in that case to our diet or oh, let me take that back. Uh, it's not really about maybe some specific supplement. I want to preface it with this, but it's about doing less of the damage with uh, overusing caffeine and relying on this quick sugar and on that downward spiral that you just mentioned and just focusing really on the basics at least that's what i guess from it like basics of nutrition and i really love that concept like always bring it back to basics yeah so i think like when it comes to things that i've mentioned right like whether it's coffee or whether it's alcohol i'm kind of going back into like our energy of dis- uh, of our discussion of energy it's really just recognizing that if I'm really impacted by the seasons, I am just more in danger of using that mm-hmm. substance in a way that is unhealthy for me, right? And and really just being on the lookout for that, right? Like where we might not need to intentionally moderate our intake in that same way in the th- spring, summer, but it's almost like 
you know, uh, being on the lookout for our own overeating tendencies. Like I know that uh, I'm perfectly happy to order takeout or order pizza on any given night. But I know also that if I had a really long, stressful day, that's probably not a good day for me to order pizza. Mm. Because if I'm stressed and I'm tired, I am much more likely to consume that pizza in a way that is not healthy for me, right? In a way that is copy, in a way that is bingy, in a way that is overeaty, right? Like, and it's that same food that would have been completely fine on a day that where I feel like aligned and regulated and calm and myself going into it being compromised, let's say, right? That would be a much bigger challenge. And I would actually do better to not order pizza that day at all, simply to help myself. And that same thing kind of applies with caffeine or alcohol or heavy carbs in the times or seasons when we already struggle, right? So it's like when I'm struggling with my energy already, like why why go down that path at all, right? Like it becomes a little bit too easy of a downward spiral to create and perpetuate. I love that. So in essence, what I heard you say is that what we eat is important, but it's also very important how we eat it. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say. And I think of everything that, you know, we put our mouth in our mouth is is a substance in, mm-hmm. in a way, right? Like if you've ever felt sad and had a bunch of cookies and felt ba- better, right? Like it's it's a substance that we can use intentionally and we can use it for the good or the bad, right? Like it's uh, food is powerful. Food is amazing. With great power comes great responsibility. So how do we use uh, different food to kind of align with the choices and how we want to feel, right? We make those choices on a micro scale every day already. So like if I come home and I'm really, really, really hungry, but I have a soccer game in an hour, I'm probably not going to sit down and have a huge salad. It's just not going to feel good, right? Like there's all that fiber is going to sit in my stomach. Like what am I going to have instead? I might have a sandwich. I might have a little wrap. I might have a smoothie. Or I might, you know, I might simply know my body to know what feels good, what doesn't, and how long does it take me to digest something. So this is really no different. We're just talking about it on a more like macro scale. Right. So we mentioned movement. We mentioned uh, some energy surfing. We mentioned nutrition. Is there anything else that you feel like we didn't mention that you would like to speak about? Hmm. I guess the one thing that I want to mention is that what we're talking about is not new. Like you, you've mentioned uh, that I studied yoga and this was yoga was my first physical practice that I've ever mm-hmm. uh, been a part of. And I've studied quite a bit of like the ancient Indian texts and the philosophy and one of the like ancient healing systems that has originated in India is Ayurveda. Ayurveda is over 3000 years old. And one of the things that you find in Ayurveda is this identification of different personality types and eating differently for your personality type and Mm -hmm. eating differently with the seasons to try and balance the energy. Now, is it (laughs) Is that approach evidence-based in the same way that we think of evidence-based today? No, of course not. But my point being is that, that there is something to be said for eating and moving in a way that is not linear and in a way that makes us feel better not worse, right? Like it's, it's that, like it's going back to the notion of energy surfing, 
but also realizing that the energy is going to fluctuate over the course of a day, a week, a month, a year. And we would do well to notice what those fluctuations are and lean into them rather than fighting against them, right? Like we're very mm-hmm. often we'll see, well, well, you know, I have, like, how do I just make this afternoon workout work? Like I'm so tired and exhausted, but how do I just make it work? And oftentimes the solution is not to make it work. The solution is to shift it to another time in the day that works way better, right? So it's really kind of going back to what tends to work for you and when, and can we do more of that? Yeah, I, I really love that point about shifting that workout and so on, because uh, when problem solving, I often find that we try to kind of force a solution to a problem, like working out at 4 p.m., yep. while we could just sidestep it in some way, like moving that workout to a different hour, and then we simply don't have this problem anymore and it usually solves the whole host of issues that are just produced by trying to work out at that specific hour (laughs) so what are some of the things uh just to wrap up that a listener should take away What is the takeaway that a listener should take away? Um, I would say that the takeaway is probably to notice and name your own fluctuations in mood and energy and identifying ways in which you can work with them and not against them. That would be our biggest takeaway for our conversation today, I think. Mm -hmm. And if they want to learn more about that and work through these challenges, especially if they are someone who is really affected by these seasonal fluctuations how can they get in touch with you and maybe tell us more about your program yeah so i i would say that probably three places to find me and um, i'm sure daniel can include those in the show notes so folks don't have to suffer the spelling of my last name but it's my um it's going to be my website which is my last name.com salaviova.com it's going to be my instagram account where i share a lot of tips and strategies for coaches and health and wellness professionals and also my weekly newsletter called uh, letters to friends where i go a little bit deeper into the topics uh like coaching but also behavioral change health nutrition uh dietary experiments, periodization of movement uh, over time. So uh, Operation Tigger is my group coaching program that will be launching uh, early November this year. This is going to be the fourth cohort that I'm running, the fourth year that it's going to be taking place. And um, if folks are either following me on Instagram or on my newsletter, they will absolutely hear more about that. So... I think I know why you wanted to schedule this interview right now in September, seasonally, before your program. Now's the time. Yeah, now's the time. Perfect. So I I really can recommend Kate because uh, I've been following her for some time. And for me, she's a big inspiration, especially when it comes to her uh, communication skills and copyright. She's like a copywriting goddess. I really enjoy uh, reading her stuff and uh, yeah it makes a lot of sense and it, it it gets right to the point oh that's a huge compliment thank you yeah so thank you for sharing everything with us today and yeah all those things that we mentioned will be included in the description whether wherever you are listening or watching this and Yeah, let's say goodbye.